Welcome everyone. Last week's episode was about knowing yourself. If you have a talent for swimming, don't beat yourself up for not being a great runner. Enjoy your successes in the water and when you've achieved something with what kind of talent has been given to you in the first place, then look out for new ventures. That brings us to today's episode, which will touch the concept of one-sidedness. In a way, we're all tennis players with a huge Popeye arm. That's the talent we developed into a strength, typically over decades. One-sidedness was a lifelong field of study for Swiss psychiatrist C.G. Jung, who initially was groomed by Sigmund Freud as his successor and then split from his mentor to pursue his own idea of psychology. In 1921, Jung wrote a book called Psychological Types, in which he introduced, among other things, the idea of extroversion and introversion. Yes, you might have never heard of the guy, but we're all using his ideas day in, day out. Last week, I said we're going to do a Myers-Briggs personality type or MBTI debrief together. It is the mother of all introspective tests and it is based on Jung's said book. If you go to 16personalities.com, which offers a free version of the MBTI, they claim that 360,530,698 people have taken the test so far. I checked into the website a couple of times last week and that incredible number actually goes up every day. While I think it's a good thing when people seek understanding, the MBTI is not as self-explanatory as the website makes you think. In fact, Jung's theory that is baked into the test is deep, real deep. And from my own experience, it takes some time to understand what it really can do for you. When I went for the MBTI practitioner certification a couple of years ago, it was a five day training. And at no point, it felt like as if they were teaching extra slow to make the training longer. It was just packed full of content. MBTI. I used to make fun of the complicated four-letter code. Only some people can even remember what the code was and only a few of those few can recall what it actually means. Silly me used to say I was ESPN, like the T-Network, haha, and I apologize for that, but it was a sort of protest that it's too complicated to remember. My two older daughters made their first MBTI in high school and one came back as an ESTJ and the other one as an INFP which is the exact opposite. No, no wonder they admire each other and fight all the time. But what do those letter combinations actually mean? How can you remember them? If you like, pause the podcast right here. Grab your old MBTI or do a fresh one at either 16personalities.com for free or get the full 20 pages deep report at MBTI online for 50 bucks. See you in a few moments. This is Leadership Bits. MBTI is based on psychological theory. It's both simplistic and yet the most researched analysis self-assessment tool in the world you'll receive some very helpful information to understand your test results on the website or in the printouts, but I found that neither a two-page nor 20-page report do really replace an in-person debrief. Now, 
I'm still not the biggest fan of MBTI for a number of reasons, which I mentioned. It's hard to remember. Also, it's truly valuable content requires you to think around a couple of corners. It's not really accessible. And last but not least, it puts you into a box. One of 16 to be exact. And despite of our one-sidedness, which we'll get to later, we're simply too complex to be just one thing. But as I said, MBTI is the mother of all tests. So let's howl with the wolves. This podcast can't replace the individual debrief. If you want to get a better understanding of your results, look for an MBTI practitioner on the web. For today, I promise you two things. You will have a better understanding of this after it, and you will never forget your code anymore. Without further ado, grab your test and let's go. Carl Jung proposed four main functions of consciousness. Two perceiving functions, which he called sensation and intuition, and two judging functions, which he named thinking and feeling. These are your two middle letters, modified by two main attitude types, which we talked about already extroversion and introversion, which represent your first letter. Isabel Myers-Briggs added a fourth dimension, which functions as a pointer to our dominant function, or in the words I've used, our Popeye arm, but more to that later. 16personalities.com added a fifth letter, which from my perspective is making it A, more complicated and B, generic at the same time. I'll gladly ignore that for today. And if you go to their personality debrief pages, by the way, they don't even use the fifth letter themselves. The first letter from your four letter code, code tells us where your energy comes from. E stands for extroversion and people who have this personality preference are energized by the outer world of people and things. It can be a discussion with someone. It can be a walk through the forest and hearing the wind in the trees. These people generally share their ideas verbally and recharge by being around other people. We often call someone extroverted who seems to be outgoing, someone who is often found at the center of the stage maybe. And while there is a correlation between the noise a person creates and extroversion, it can be pretty misleading. My favorite example is Freddie Mercury, Queen's frontman who passed away in 1991. Freddie appeared to be the most extroverted person on earth when he stood in front of 70,000 people in the Wembley Stadium and yelled, yo!" But when you look at offstage footage from him, he wasn't as outgoing and displayed many signs of deep introversion, which the I stands for. People with introvert preference are energized by their inner world. Introverts use their energy interacting with people and things and gain energy by spending time alone and in their heads. They usually prefer to go through all their ideas and then share them out loud. Here's one of the most important aspects to know about MBTI. It's built as a dichotomy, either or. We actually use both preferences throughout our day. One just comes more naturally to us, just like you naturally cross your arms one way and the other way feels a little awkward. But that doesn't mean we can't do it. Either E, extrovert, or I, introvert, shows your comfort zone. Not any one person in the world is not completely extroverted or completely introverted. The second letter in MBTI is, shows how we learn, how we take in information. S stands for sensing preference. People who have the letter S tend to process things in a step-by-step -step linear sequence. 
and they observe and remember specific information. They also tend to focus on the facts and what can be observed via their five senses. S people are often no-nonsense people. You hear them saying things like, it's not a sign for something or a butterfly, it's just a cloud. They might ask more often for proof of something or data rather than just believe in things. Very different from the ends. Because we've used the I for introversion already, the opposite of sensing, our second letter, intuition is represented by the letter N. In the best positive way I can say this, N people are dreamers. They generally learn by seeing the big picture, how specific information is connected, and they typically look beyond the what is in front of them. A guitar is not just a piece of wood with six strings. It is a doorway into creating sounds and music, to have fun with kids to create memories. Look at your second letter and reflect a little bit. No nonsense, fact-based, or rather inspirational and playful. Did the test play back how you typically feel? Moving on, the third letter. The third letter in MBTI is how we make decisions. The T stands for thinking, and people who have this preference tend to make decisions based on pros and cons, and weighing logical consequences from an objective point of view. In that world of data-driven decisions, one plus one is always two, logical. Which is very different from F people. The F in the third letter stands for feeling. F people make decisions based on how those decisions might affect other people involved. I like to call those value-based decisions rather than feeling. It might be logical to do one thing, but based on my personal values, I go the other way. Like staying away from a convict makes a lot of sense, it's a convict, but that's also a human being that might just ended up on the wrong path because he or she did not have the right people around them. In this world, one plus one can be two, but also three, four or more. Just think of two people having children. One plus one can actually make three or more. Very important again here. Just because you have a preference for maybe thinking or feeling doesn't mean you, doesn't mean you can't see things from the other side. It, is, it just means when you first consider making a decision, you're going to use this preference first and may or may not use the other preference. Often depending on how self-aware you are, if someone else involves brings in the opposite perspective. And let's pause for a moment right here. How do you make decisions? How about the last couple of days? Did you see your thinking challenges either in the one or the other direction? Which side do you tend to be following in general? Did your test results come out how you feel about yourself? Another really important piece of information before we continue. MBTI is no exact science. The test itself is deemed reliable and validated, but its results actually very much depend on how you answered the questions. Our basic personality is set after about two years. Everything that comes later are mostly filters to make us compatible with the outer world. Here's how that works. Imagine you're being asked whether you're either emotional or structured. Your first direct impulse might have been emotional, but milliseconds later you convince yourself that you're not that emotional anymore and that there's not so much space in your life as a financial accountant and a responsible member of the community to be too emotional. So when you answer the test, you go for structured. For our MBTI results, that means we're looking at your filters, 
not at your core. So if you let all those thoughts influence your answers during the last test, do it again in a couple of days and let your first impulses take the stage. Some people are in for a surprise. Up until this point, MBTI is offering some really good practical approach. Reflect about ourselves and others. How do I make decisions as a leader? When do I let that T rule and when it is time for a little bit more F? Should I really challenge that N person to crunch even more data? Or do I not better use their preference for the holistic and creative side that my product needs anyways? Some good stuff to think about. Now, we get to the fourth letter, and this is where the mad science starts. If you're exhausted already, take five and then come back. We're approaching the last turn, but we're not yet on the finish line. The more simplistic, still insightful use of the fourth letter is that it indicates how we organize our lives. The letter J stands for judging, and people who have a preference for judging are the list makers and planners. They like to have a structure and schedule to their time and will generally space out projects so they get the work done a bit at a time. Very different from the perceivers, what the letter P stands for. Those are the ones who want flexibility in their lives in how, and in how their time is managed. They would rather be open to new opportunities for events and like making decisions on the fly and can sometimes enjoy working on things at the last minute or on their own schedule. That's why I usually say that the P actually stands for procrastination. Why spend weeks ahead of a timeline and have a miserable life when all you need to do is to pull an all-nighter before the due date? J people are already shaking their heads now. They can understand P people's unconcerned approach, and that's fine. All that is good use for the fourth letter, but there's more. In the beginning, I've casually mentioned that the fourth letter is a pointer. If you've noticed, and you probably did, the fourth letter is either judging or perceiving, and these are the thinking functions of letter two and three. Number two is perceiving how we take information in, and letter number three is judging how we make decisions. The mad science of the fourth letter is that it indicates Jung's one-sidedness, our Popeye arm. The P or the J point to our superior function. There are those people who question things critically at all the time, which are S people. Dreamers, visionaries are N people. Executors are T people and empathetic, of course, F feeling people. It sounds a bit too limited, but if you were to draw a bottom line and had to describe yourself with only a few words, it will come down to one of those generic tendencies that I just described. Jake's a dreamer, Mary is the eternal skeptic, Laura is the doer, and Frank, he can't make a single decision because he doesn't want to hurt anyone. To quote Jung directly, this one-sidedness is an unavoidable and necessary characteristic of the directed process for direction implies one-sidedness. Kind of makes a lot of sense. It is an advantage and a drawback at the same time. The Popeye arm that made us successful, it limits us on the other side as well. The opposite to our dominant or superior function is our inferior function. For the most part of our first 20, 30, or even 40 years, this inferior function remains mostly unconscious to us or invisible as we are busy training the Popeye arm. And this is where it gets really interesting. Jung found what he called 
individuation, a word that has not found its way into our daily language, to be the solution to our tendency towards one-sidedness. In this process of becoming a complete human being, we integrate all the parts of our personality of which we aren't presently conscious or aware. For example, for people who rely on thinking to interpret information, feelings represent the inferior function. For people who trust their senses, intuition is their inferior function. And so the key to becoming whole lies in identifying and developing the other arm, not the Popeye arm. One thing is important to mention. I said MBTI is deep. The fourth letter points only to the superior function for extroverts. Oof. Introverts never directly reveal who they are. You might have found yourself in a situation that you are acting upon some signals from an introvert because you maybe felt rejection or indifference. The fourth letter for introverts points the wrong way. They might show a lot of inspiration when gathering data, while in fact they are actually not visible for us on the outside, already focused on making a really tough call. So instead of being an N, which we think and they show us, they are a classic T. And we wonder where that came from. During the MBI training, they lost me there for a moment. The whole thing sounded really over-engineered. Yet I do have to admit that this really helped me over the years to work better with people who do not wear their hearts on the sleeve. Back to one-sidedness and individuation. It's our quest in life to first discover our talents, bring them to flourish, and then turn to our inferior aspects and become whole. Like a data-driven executor who discovers the world of value-based decisions in his or her 40s. Or a creative dreamer who realizes that all those dreams will only have an impact on the world when those dreams actually manifest in something, like a useful product to save energy or a program to solve hunger and so on. What is your dominant or superior function or Popeye arm? And what are the aspects that you know are underdeveloped yet? Maybe you perceive a hole somewhere which you feel you need to tap into at some point. That's where the journey to being whole starts. Now we're finally on the finish line. What to do with all of this? Number one, starting with something I do not recommend you to do. MBTI puts you in one of 16 boxes. Don't let it. Use it for entertainment and as intellectual stimulation, but I personally think those labels like commander, debater, defender, adventurer, whatever, worst of all executive, don't do you a good service. That's the populist front end of a tool that can do much more. Number two, understand your journey. You might be very well still in the face of training your Popeye arm and that's a good thing. You have better chances to make a mark when you start with your talents and bring those to shine first. There'll be a time to become whole. And that brings us to number three. If you feel the one-sidedness already taking a toll that typically starts in our late 30s, you have no other chance than to start looking. Seek a better understanding of yourself and embark on the journey. If that's not a good end for a podcast that is already way too long. Thanks for listening to an ENTP and stay safe wherever you are. 